0: Welcome to the Driving Dentistry Forward podcast, where successful dental pros and anyone who values
1: the power of a smile can get an edge in the dynamic worlds of healthcare and business. Hosts Chuck Cohen and Rick Cohen speak with top influencers in the world of dentistry and explore
0: essential tools, trends worth your time, and solutions that help you practice smarter.
1: Very flattered and honored to be here today with Dr. Michael Cohen, the founder of the Seattle Study Club, and a close personal friend. We not only share the same last name, we share a lot of things in common and we truly love each other. so this is really a, a, a really a privilege for me to spend some time with you today, Michael.
0: I'm, I'm uh, honored to be with you, and uh, I've been looking forward to this at least for the last 15 minutes. <laughs>
1: Excellent. Well, we're glad you're here. Take time out of your busy day to do this. So let's start a little bit about your journey. Um, where where did you start? How did you end up as one of the most influential people in dentistry?
0: Um, I can promise you it wasn't planned. And, and not only uh, was it not planned, I actually planned something about 180 degrees from that. Uh, I graduated as a Period, honest, and went into practice, and uh, I liked the idea that I could go to the period meetings and not be recognized. I liked the idea that I could go in and go into a meeting room, and uh, I'm I so, was sort of not a loner, but I didn't particularly like um, groups and doing group things. I I enjoy um, my wife and I even today enjoy. Going out with another couple, or having a couple or two over to our house, rather than a big gathering. So, I wasn't looking at all to make a big mark uh, in dentistry, and I wasn't looking for notoriety. That's that's for sure. Um, I'm not even quite sure how it happened. Um, it was by undesign rather than design. Uh, I as a periodontist recognized that uh, in order to succeed, I had to um, uh, secure referrals in the community. And uh, the best way to do that was to um, try to find something that would uh, bring people together. And the idea was a study club and it wasn't that I invented the study club, and this is back in 1977, but it wasn't that I invented the study club. It was that I wanted to do it a little differently. I felt that if I could um, get individuals in the community to focus more and become more proficient at diagnosis and treatment planning, that that would lead to higher quality dentistry. If perio, was part of higher quality dentistry, then basically I would it would help me build my practice. Uh, so um, I had issues in the beginning. Uh, I was um, actually coercing people to come to the study club and they weren't coming because they felt they needed it for themselves. And I think that is the, the that that's a big determinant as to whether a study club will succeed long term or not. People can't be coming because can't be coming to a, a meeting because they think it's the right thing to do or someone is pushing them. I think the education is very different. I think that uh, college is wasted on the young. I, you know, if I could go back to college today, it would be a very different experience. And I'm sure you feel the same way. Absolutely. Yes, I I, and so um, once we could get individuals to recognize that they needed it, whether I was there or not, it started to have a life of its own. And uh, that took a little while. It took about 10 years from 1977 to 1987. And I, in 1987, invited a patient in for our study club meeting. And we broke up into teams and we um, interviewed, uh, we interviewed the the patient and then we faced off, you know, one team against the other. What would you do in this case? And The electrons were flying. It was really exciting. And so much so that dentists were in the parking lot 45 minutes after the meeting was over arguing on how the case should be treated. And so I felt like I was onto something because every year before this, I struggled to get people back to the club and so we'd have about 12 members and i'd be scrambling to replace six of them each year uh, after this evening people really got excited about the opportunity for clinical interaction and that's really what it was all about it was about being able not to stand in front of a lecture or sit in front of a lecturer uh, and learn from that lecture it was really about Utilizing the greatest resource that our communities have,
1: and that's each other. Learning from each other. It's amazing. I've never heard you tell that story before, and I find it fascinating. So to hear back to what I just heard you say is the key insight in the study club that you created was this idea that the interaction between the members is what provides the real take-home value, not as much what someone says from from the front of the podium. Is that correct? Absolutely no question about that.
0: And uh, once I saw how valuable that was, I took some courses on, uh, not in dentistry, but on the delivery of continuing education. And uh, most of the research shows, even the newest research today, shows that small group learning, where individuals are collaborating and learning from each other, is far more effective than sitting in front of
1: a lecturer for a long one-day lecture. Amazing. So once you figured out that you had a formula that worked for your own study club, tell us about how you decided to replicate that on a larger scale. That must have been a pretty big decision.
0: Uh, It wasn't my decision. Um, As a matter of fact, I was very happy to be quietly successful in my practice. uh, And that's really how I saw it. But there were a couple of individuals in my study club who uh, sat me down after one of our meetings and said, you know something, Michael, we have something very special here and you've gotta be able to figure out a way to share it with others. And uh, so, I was, um, I was just really getting started in the late 80s in implant dentistry and uh, I noticed that for the first time in a very big way the education was being pushed out not only by the dental schools but by the manufacturers. And the manufacturers were pushing out information that uh, really related to how good their implants were. And I recognized that if, if, if companies wanted to sell implants, they had to stop selling implants and they had to start selling quality, comprehensive dentistry. Because if implants were a part of that, then people would automatically want implants, right? Mm-hmm. So I, um, I uh, was fortunate enough at the time to know some people at Dentsply, and uh, they were very excited about what I was talking about. And uh, they wanted me to put some programs together on the study club. They uh, were not telling me that I had to um, promote any product or any implant or anything like that, that basically it was just a matter of talking about study clubs. So uh, my first lectures were lectures that were uh, were sponsored that way. And uh, I had a tough time in the beginning. I couldn't even give the study club concept away, but uh, I was like a fullback. I put my shoulders down and plowed forward, and eventually it was going to take. And uh, in 1992, uh, we started our first study clubs. And uh, an interesting story, uh, I don't remember exactly when, I just remember that one of the highlights in terms of me starting study clubs was the L.A. riots. Tell us more. Yes, I... Thought you might ask. I am. I'm asking. And so uh, I was giving a program, scheduled to give a program to 12 surgeons in San Francisco, not in L.A. But uh, and then that weekend that I was giving it, it, uh, the, it was just before that, that uh, there were the L.A. riots on Thursday. Mm-hmm. And um, I was giving my program on Friday and i was giving it at the sir francis Drake hotel in san francisco and i got there and they were boarding up the windows and the doors because they knew there would be rioting in san francisco the following day and so these individuals these 12 individuals showed up and um, they closed the hotel while i was giving my presentation and they wouldn't let anybody in or out and so those individuals had to stay with me the entire day. And by the time I finished my presentation, 11 of those 12 individuals started study clubs. So that was my first foray really into the world
1: of the Seattle study club. Amazing. So let's do this again. I think that's great. The second insight you talked about was uh, this idea that the key, one of the key, elements of Seattle Study Club is the comprehensive nature of it, right? We don't just talk about an individual product or an individual procedure even, it's this comprehensive treatment planning process, right? You talked about that. Yes. Correct? And then the last thing is basically, if you lock everyone in a room long enough, you will win them over. That's so it's a technique for selling and it works.
0: Yes, there's no question about it. Although I'm not a big fan
1: of riots. <laughs> well, that's good. We'll skip the riot part. Yeah. Interesting. So, so so, so talk more about the twelve who went out and sort of preached the gospel on a larger scale. How'd that so work?
0: The, you know the Seattle Study Club basically ended up being a university without walls, and my idea was that it was a um, a place where dentists who are in the field and don't have the luxury of going back to school can actually um, experience a curriculum on a yearly basis and it has to cover everything that a university would provide and actually it's not just clinical dentistry there are non-clinical aspects to it Um, we have ventured into the world of integrated medicine and business and uh, we actually have the business academy at the seattle study club so individuals that get involved in this really get a well-rounded education each year, which, you know, as only a sideline do they get all of the continuing education credits that they need. Basically, what they get is a way of life because this integrates, really, with everything that they do in life. They become... Uh, Great CEOs in their practices, and they become great leaders in in not only in their practices, but around them in life in general with the people that uh, they interact with. So uh, that's really
1: what it has become amazing um talk a little bit about the size and scope today of seattle study club how many clubs are there how many participants are there how many programs a year give us an idea because some of the listeners may not understand exactly how big the operation is today
0: yes well the the um the first clubs as i mentioned started in 1992 Mm -hmm. and since 1992 we've started about 270 study clubs in the United States and in Canada. And um, we have uh, five clubs in Australia. We have seven clubs in China. We have a club in Taiwan, clubs in Japan, in Germany, in UK, we have uh, clubs in Italy, in India. We have clubs now all over the world. We have approximately 5,700 dentists who are associated with the Seattle Study Club, and when you look at the fact that that staff members are also involved in Seattle Study Club activities, uh, Seattle Study Club touches over 35,000 individuals in dentistry.
1: Wow. Well, let's pivot a little bit and talk about influence in general. Um, What does it feel like to be an influencer, and how are some of the ways you think that you and Seattle Study Club in general have been influencing dentistry in the last five, 10 years or so?
0: Um, it, you know, it. Uh, there, there's been no advertising for the Seattle Study Club, yeah. in a sense, no conventional advertising. So um, maybe if there was advertising, it'd even be a lot bigger. But it was really about one individual who felt the right things that needed to be done i didn't sit down and uh use consultants to, to to figure out how we would scale the seattle study club it was nothing like that at all it it was all a natural evolution uh people talking to people and uh and that to me because i was so passionate about what i was doing sufficed. Um, but uh in the, in the process of um, promoting uh, interdisciplinary comprehensive care, I got involved in, um, in publishing two textbooks with Quintessence, probably the uh, most well-recognized publisher in dentistry in the world. And if you speak to the high-level uh, clinicians who are speaking in, out there, they would love to have books published by Quintessence. Well, I didn't set out to publish a book. Uh, quintessence actually, Jerry Sheesh, a, a very well-known dentist, came to me and said, "Michael, if you want a legacy, you've got to you've got to do a book." And the, in the process of doing the book, the the first volume took me five years to put together, and it's all on treatment planning. And in two thousand. Uh, 11 or 12, it was the the second largest selling dental book in the United States. And uh, I don't know about the world, but I do know a lot of copies sold elsewhere because it was translated into five different languages. Um, But I got to meet because I invited the best clinicians from around the world and all of those clinicians that I invited, I felt were great teachers. They couldn't write, but they could teach. Mm. So in essence, I ended up uh, rewriting a number of the chapters. But the information that was in there is is contemporary, even today, it's mm-hmm. it's today, uh, many of the concepts on occlusion, many of the concepts on interdisciplinary treatment and putting it together um, with great clinicians like uh, John Kois and Frank Speer and uh, uh, Mauro Fradiani from Italy and uh, uh, Stefano Grassi from Milan, also Italy. And uh, and uh, let's see, Galip Gurel from Turkey and, you know, individuals from all over the world, in a sense, gathered to help me with this, with this volume. Well, they all have influence. They're major influencers. And because that was the case, I started to become well-known uh, around the world, actually. And... Uh, I became more famous in um, Tokyo than I was in Seattle where I am from. So uh, it just happened. And basically I have continued to create ways for people to learn. Um, We've developed unique curricula for our clubs every year. Uh, We have, all sorts of resources that we've developed for educational purposes. And through all of this, it's created a tremendous number of tentacles uh, in in uh, in the world of dentistry. And uh, so uh, again, I've never, you know, we have a Seattle Study Club journal, which is going now since 1994. I've never put myself on the cover and we've had um, clinicians on the cover for about uh, 15 of those years. We now have a different cover, but the point of the matter is is that notoriety is not important to me. I am not looking to make a mark other than I just want to help people learn. I want to make I want to make life easier for those people that
1: uh, I can reach. Excellent. Um, It's inspiring, I think. I mean, honestly, it very much is. Um, Especially when I hear you talk about the passion that you have for postgraduate, for lack of a better term, education. Too many dentists, too many people just continue, just stop learning and don't continue to learn. And that clearly is one of the things you're most passionate about. We have um,
0: uh, so many dentists that have written us letters over the years of how they were stuck in their practices. And it was joining their local Seattle study club that turned their lives around. And the thing is, is that um, because this um, is so pervasive, uh, this the educational process and the fact that we explore so many different areas and people become better business people and they become better at um, interpersonal relationships. And uh, I mean, the perfect thing is, uh, the example is COVID and what has happened this past year. And the fact that all of our clubs couldn't finish out their yearly programs of getting together. We immediately created something called the virtual classroom so that everybody, we provided education for, the, for uh, over a hundred of our clubs over the last three months of the academic year. In addition, we decided that we wanted to do something called Living Life Together, which were programs on COVID or on business or on things that would take individuals' minds off of all of the problems that were going on. And we had thousands of followers on this Thursday night series that we did, including many spouses and family members, uh, because the topics were of general value to everyone. And so, uh, you know, the the influence stretches far and wide, not just to the uh, the the um, the average dentist. It's you know, it, it it's a family affair. The Seattle Study Club is absolutely a family affair.
1: Um, Who have been some of your biggest influencers? Who has influenced you in your journey?
0: Uh, I think um, one of the biggest influencers was a guy by the name of Saul
1: Schluger. He
0: is known as the father of periodontics. He started the first period program at Columbia University, came out to the University of Washington, and started the Perio program there. I spent uh, my years in the graduate program, uh, not so much learning from him techniques because of all of the staff that were there to provide that information, but Mm -hmm. I learned a hell of a lot about wine and good food. Mm -hmm. And uh, he and I went to, to the University of Washington football games for 13 years. And I actually became the executor of his estate. Wow. Uh, and but I learned so much about everything that surrounds dentistry as well as dentistry from him. And I think he made me a more well-rounded person, a more well-rounded individual. So
1: he's a major influencer in my life. Wow. And where do you think dentistry is going? If you could wave a wand and say, well, first of all, where do you think dentistry is going? What do you think are the most important powerful forces that are shaping dentistry going forward? And then if you could change something about dentistry, what would you change?
0: Um, I think by answering the first question, it will almost answer the second. Uh, I think that um, moving forward, Uh, the world will continue to be dominated from a digital standpoint. Mm -hmm. And yet, I don't think that the world will be strictly digital. I think that the world will end up being what is called uh, um, digital analog hybridization. Mm -hmm. And, And that is that we will not go forward without um, influence uh, from the human factor, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, so although um, you know these uh, Zoom meetings and the um, digital side of things will continue, and people will learn in front of their computers, I think there is nothing. There is no substitute. For mentoring and for uh, face-to-face confrontation, is so to speak, mm-hmm. uh, and that is talking about cases and discussing cases and getting involved in the interpersonal relationships that are so important in human development, mm-hmm. and I think that will always be a part of a part of dentistry. I think mm-hmm. that. Um, the days of the uh, one day full lectures are um, going to wane. I think that, um, that it's clear from, again, what I mentioned before, lots of studies that show that um, small group learning is far more effective. I think that uh, when you look at learning for the future, there will be a lot more spaced learning than one day lectures where by the end of the morning, your neurons can't retain the information. It can't, the information can't get embedded in the neural pathways anymore. And so basically the second half of the day, you might as well be out getting your errands done so you can have a free weekend. Uh, I think that uh, short bursts of information And uh, like we have high intensity learning that we do at the Seattle Study Club is uh, uh, is is the wave of the future. Small group learning, uh, learning from each other is it's not that lectures will go away. We have to add to our databases, but you have to be able to um, integrate the information you get into something meaningful. And that happens best through collaboration.
1: Fascinating. Um, talk for a few minutes about one of the really great inventions I think you've brought to dentistry, and that's this concept of symposium. Um, symposium is truly the, the best dental meeting of the year. It's the one meeting I put on my calendar never to miss. And I do think that's been one of the things you've been very influential about, really changing the way dental meetings are put together, run, operated. Uh, talk for a few minutes about how that came about and what is the long-term influence of that?
0: Well, one of the... Reasons that Seattle Study Club symposia are so successful is because they were never built to make money, mm-hmm. and so there, there's and that factor isn't into isn't and doesn't enter into it. Although we don't like to lose money, mm-hmm. um, and uh, I think that uh, it's uh, it's uh, avoided all of the politics surrounding many of the meetings in dentistry uh it's it's really if i think there's a great speaker out there i'm going to put a great speaker on because it's really about education and it's not sitting into and sitting in in an audience and watching a speaker wow you with all of the technical stuff we really concentrating on getting the best teachers on the podium so that's part of it okay and that's why the um that's why all of the great speakers want to be on our stage because there's tremendous prestige, because they want to be in the uh, in the audience of other great speakers. They don't come to these meetings to fly in and fly out. They come to these meetings and they wanna stay because there is a wealth of information to be had. But also in addition to that, um, The meeting is derived from the fact that in the beginning, it wasn't just uh, a showcase of speakers. It was a meeting where individuals could get together. And it's an extension of what I've been talking about these past 25 or 30 minutes. And that is, it's about the human side, the relationships that are built, the friendships that are built. It's really about the Seattle Study Club community, and uh, anyone who has been uh, can't wait to come back. And it's it's only partly because the lectures are so fabulous. It's everything that surrounds the the meeting. It's meeting latent needs. It's it's coming up with ideas that people would never expect, and then they are so grateful for. It's our directors coming to the meetings and and experiencing things as surprises and things they've never seen and the quality being so high that they then want to emulate that in how they run their clubs. And that's exactly what we want. We want the trickle down so that we can lead by example and then we can have them, our directors bring that back to their locales. It's also all of the things that we endeavor to provide. For instance, we've had meetings, our symposia, three of them have just been on being a great CEO in your practice. We have something, as I mentioned before, called the business academy where we, it's not practice management. These, these meetings were like mini MBA, uh, weekends or, or four-day meetings as, as we have them, where someone could become far more proficient. First of all, learning what they don't know, which is pretty scary because most of us have a tough time with the basic profit and loss statement. But uh, listening to uh, individuals who are prominent in business that can, that can impart ways that we can more effectively run our businesses. So this, as I, as I said before, is, is wide, very expansive in, in the type of education that is delivered.
1: Fabulous. Well, Michael, thank you very much for sharing your insights with us today. Uh, as I said before, I consider you a very dear friend and I never miss symposium. And uh, I also would like to say that as a disclaimer, and I'm proud of this, I'm proud to say that Benco is a partner with Seattle Study Club, mostly because we believe in the vision that you've created. We believe in this idea of comprehensive treatment planning. We believe that every dentist who belongs to Seattle Study Club becomes a better dentist. And we believe in this idea of lifelong learning. So, Michael, thank you for partnering and thank you for sharing your insights with us today
0: let me just say one thing and saying goodbye besides thank you and i'll see you sometime later but um i do want to say something about Benko and Benko fits into what the seattle study club is about we have uh partners seattle study club partners and um i think um the 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 partners that we have are are not only capable of serving our members well from a standpoint of product but also from a standpoint of service and i and i think that banco does such a great job at, at in reaching out to make sure that their customers are are satisfied and really happy with the relationship and And I think as shown by what Banco has done these past months during COVID, uh, and that is Banco has been a company that has said, and and there aren't many companies that have done this. And that is they've said, you know what? This really isn't about us. Let's put that aside and let's see how we can help others. The rest will fall into place. And uh, I really appreciate that and I know Many of us at Seattle Study Club appreciate that. And we are so uh, proud of Banco for what Banco has done during the the past
1: six months, Uh, but also we treasure our relationship. Thank you very much. That means a lot and I appreciate the kind words. And back at you, we treasure our relationship with Seattle Study Club. So thank you. And thank you for sharing your insights with us today. And thank you for being one of the 32 most influential people in dentistry
0: thanks for listening in don't want to miss an episode of the driving dentistry forward podcast subscribe today on your favorite podcast app